it's very intentional. Uh, it's um, putting up systems around me because I love to pursue. I love the challenge. I'm extremely competitive, almost to a fault. <laughs> um, so the competition, my internal competition now is presence. Because I'm always like, what's next? What's next? What's next? I was like, no, what's now? What's now? And it's just this constant create new patterns in my life. First of all, identifying the ones that aren't allowing me to be where my feet are and then changing them. We are, we're, we're all about habits. We're all about patterns. Our brain is designed to look for those patterns. So all we got to do is be very intentional with changing our thought process with the patterns that we do. And just know that it's going to take, you know, 60 to 90 days to create a better pattern. It's not breaking old habits. It's creating new, better habits that override the bad ones. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. This is the place where we share stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose. A place where we dive into the how behind change and forward motion, which many times comes from an experience in life that feels dark. And today I'm here with Coach BJ and Tim Dixon. Tim has a master's degree in sports psychology. He is a two-time best-selling author and an athlete himself. Currently, he is running one mile a day and doing lots of handstands, but prior to this, he spent many years in the world of Major League Baseball as a pitcher. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Super excited. Athletics can change, Ooh, can't they? Absolutely, they can. Different arena. <laughs> so, um, you know, I mentioned change and purpose, and sometimes that comes from kind of a shit spot in mm, your life. and. Mm -hmm. And I think that that happened to you when you got fired. So let's just it's dive right in. I, wow, let's just go right for it. I <laughs> we, love that's it. That's what we do. I love it. I spent 27 years, consecutive years, in a uh, dugout as a baseball coach and a baseball player. When I was at the Air Force Academy starting in 2010, I really thought it was my forever job. I mean, being around these young men and women who raise their right hand are willing to die for the freedom of our country was super powerful. And for me, it was probably the first time in my life that I was surrounded by something way bigger than myself. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna rot here. And four years, no, three years into it, uh, our baseball team was not very good. Um, and I went into end of the year interview, and I was like, we gotta do something different. You know, I, I have a pretty good idea of how to be successful. I've won a national championship. I played professional baseball. I was like, we could do this. And he goes, yeah, we're gonna change. You're fired. That was not the change I was expecting. Um, and it was interesting because at the time, you know, ego takes a huge blow. Um, but my wife and I probably around six months before were starting to talk about an exit strategy because as a baseball coach, you are, it's 365. You know, someone says, well, during the season, you're busy, but during the off season, when you're recruiting, it's even busier. So, at the time when I was fired, I still had another year of my, on my contract at the Air Force Academy. So I was like, okay, I have a year to figure this out and I'm getting paid for it. So I had my master's in sports psychology. So during my last year at the Air Force Academy, I worked with seven different teams, men's and women's gymnastics, men's and women's soccer, men's and women's tennis. And it was the best gift that was ever given to me. So being fired, was kind of like the door opening to this whole new world of starting my own business, the mental locker. It's so funny how you guys were 
like the ego did not like you getting fired. No mm. way, right? But you're looking for this exit strategy, but the exit strategy sometimes comes in a way that we don't expect. And so what did that teach you about expectations? Oh, man. It was, gosh, expectations are false for the most part because it's typically ego driven. Um, <laughs> you know, for me, the biggest thing with this whole transition, and then again, I'm sure we'll talk about it later, but then I transitioned again, uh, is the identification of who we think we are. Like my whole life, I was identified as a baseball player, a baseball coach. My wife was identified as coach's wife. And it was all of a sudden that was taken away from me. And I was like, well, who am I then? So I went through this really, you know, interesting transition of really trying to define like who I am, which was, it was hard, but man, it was pretty cool too. It's so easy though to fall into that label, yeah. whatever it is, triathlete, coach, mm -hmm. husband, because everybody in your community, everybody can, can relate to what that is. So Absolutely. you're sort of in a safe zone. But then when you do that self-discovery, you start to you start to figure out who you are, mm. like, and it doesn't fit into a box. Yeah, and it gets scary. You're like, oh, well, who am I, and why am I here? Yeah, and it opens up amazing possibilities, but it also like probably brings up a lot of fear. Tons of fear because that's your comfort. You know, baseball was my jam. I you talk, well, I could talk baseball all day long, and it was it was safe for me. Um, and then I started, you know, baseball was a part of who I am, but it wasn't all of who I am. And that's the discovery part that really kind of took off for me personally. It was, it was, um, it was probably the best gift that has been given to me in my professional life for sure. And the gifts don't always feel like a gift when they're happening. So from the people you never expect to get it from. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So what did you learn about forgiveness? Like, did you have mm. to forgive? It took me a long time. Um, which I think crazy. forgiveness is a really big one that people get stuck on. Yep. It's for me, it's the, it's the ultimate key to freedom is to forgive. And a lot of times it's forgive self, um, but also to forgive the perception of who caused this thing. Because, you know, if I look back on my career as a baseball coach, so my daughter's 17 right now. She's lived in, I think, nine different homes. So we never lived in a place more than four years. I never coached at a college more than four years. Well, there's one common denominator to all of this, me. <laughs> so it's like, okay, there's this trend going on where I'm going, I love it, and all of a sudden I start to see, my biggest struggle was people settle for less than excellence. You know, I had people say, well, hey, as long as we are 500, I keep my job. I was like, that's what we're, that's what we're shooting for? Is that, is that all? So I would start to get defiant and I would start to get a little resistant. And then I would always, I'd be like, I'm out. Instead of saying, okay, how can I make this better? How could I dig deep and make this? I just said, okay, what's next? And I was always on to what's next. And this thing really taught me to, is like, okay, you need to do some internal reflection here and you need to figure some stuff out. So it was pretty interesting. So how do I, like, how do you forgive? Mm, so for, for me, the forgiveness part, uh, it was probably, it had to have been three or four years ago. So this, it's, it's, it's taken a while, but I was at, um, I'm trying to think of the name of it, uh, the Zen. It was a Zen. So David Asprey with Bulletproof, he does this thing where you actually, I went to Washington for a week 
and I basically worked on my own brain. You interact with your own brain. And they had a, uh, a therapist, they had a neuroscience doctor, and they had this, this group of people. So I'm going through this whole process. And um, so we go and we had this session and we would go in and we kind of get in a meditative state and then we would label someone who we want to forgive. And then we kind of sit them down, charge them with what they did to us, and then go through the process of forgiving. And then we charge ourselves. Okay, what part do I play? And there's a lot of training going up to it. I was like, okay, this is interesting. So I go in and when I came out, we do this group thing and he talked to me. So she's like, okay, so to make this a little bit shorter is the guy who I, who fired me, his name was Mike Kozlowski and everyone, you know, no one calls him. They call him by his, his call name, which is Kaz. So I'm going in there and I was like, Mike Kozlowski. And then I came out and they said, well, how'd it go? I was like, and I, I said, Kaz. And she goes, wait a second, who's Kaz? I was like, that's Max Ka Mike Kozlowski. She goes, you truly, honestly forgave him. Because you called him by that familiar face. Because I called him yes. Kaz. And I was like, Cause that's what like, I had the chills right now just thinking yeah. about it. So going through that process, and, and it was crazy because you do this imagery and this visualization. And I always wanted to be the head coach at the Air Force Academy. And during this thing and this reenactment of how I, it should be, he offered me the job. I said, you know what? Thanks, but you deserve this job because he's been in the Air Force for 20 years. He went to the academy. He's the perfect fit for what that place is. And I actually declined it because he was the perfect fit for that job. It was like mind boggling how this thing, your brain and the ability and the power to forgive and to change the outcourse of your life is all about our thoughts and our choices that we make. And I think the really big piece there was that you got yourself into that parasympathetic state. You got yourself into that non-reactionary mm -hmm. state mm -hmm. where you could move from a platform of calm. And that's such a powerful place to move from. Yeah. Power is not like force. Mm. When you think about a warrior, like a warrior is always very calm. They're not freaking out about battle and they're not like, arr, 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 I can't yep. wait to get in there and rip that guy apart. They're just very much present and in the moment. And in that, in, in, in presence, like you've got all your faculties and the, the, and the ego, can, actually that energy cannot exist in presence because it's so time yeah. dependent. Um, and it reminds me a little bit, it's almost like a hybrid of like the Byron Katie work, which is judge thy neighbor. Have you ever heard of this? No. Oh, this is so good. Ooh. So you basically take Kaz and you just rip them apart, mm -hmm. right? You just put them on a piece of paper. No offense, Kaz. Um, <laughs> and you're, you know, he's this and he's that and he yeah. should be this and he should be that. I mean, we all know, right, people who we could do this to. And then she has you do the turnaround where you say, you know, it should be like, Kaz, Kaz shouldn't be so egotistical. Mm -hmm. And you do this turnaround and you say, I shouldn't be so egotistical. And you're like, oh, shit. That doesn't I've feel comfortable. I've totally... It's the, it's the mirroring effect it's, for it's sure. The, and, it's, yeah. and the truth, right? Yep. Like, yeah, I've... I've 100% uh, reacted from ego, Absolutely. like that I've been wronged, mm -hmm. that this, w wait a minute, I was yeah. looking for an exit strategy, but this was not the plan. The story that I told myself during this whole process was I was looking for an exit strategy, but I didn't get to determine when I exited. And out of all people, this guy is the one who exited for me. So that I had this narrative in my mind and it was all ego. 
Now, it's called the 40 Years of Zen, by the way, this place oh, that I went cool. to. And what was cool is you get in this, you have the earphones on, you're listening to the binary beats, and, and you really kind of get, and when you get into a, um, I think it was, whatever brainwave it is, you had a little teddy bear and it would buzz. So you would know when you're in this like flow state. Mm. So, and then once you kind of hear the buzz or feel the buzz of the teddy bear, that's when you start this process. So you're holding the teddy bear. Oh, it was so comforting. <laughs> it's like childlike, you know, I like, I've, I'm feeling so just thinking about it. But it was funny because the first time there was a part of this four years of Zen where you actually are interacting with your brain um, on the TV screen and you're, you're trying to turn all your brain waves green by just being present and no, as little to no thought as possible, and it like makes music. So it, the first day, you're supposed to do it for like eight to 10 minutes. The first day I did it for three minutes and I was so exhausted, I had to stop. Mm. And then the next day, it got a little progressive one. And then I was, I think the third or fourth day, that thing was singing. And I was like, ooh, and it went Zhoom. And the doctor goes, don't brag, just be. I was like, whoa. As soon as ego is like, I got it. The judgment. Boom. Yeah. Done. It's, it's the judgment. Like, I got it. Off. Yeah. Like, I've okay. achieved. It's the surrendering mm. of the control. So it sounds ah. like you're in that like theta brainwave where yes. it's like, it's mm-hmm. the most relaxing, you know, kind of like when you get a massage mm-hmm. and it's like so good, you, you like, you couldn't talk if somebody paid you. Yeah. You know, it's, it's that. And it's not yeah. sleep. But it's the most restful state. Yeah, so it it's sounds just like losing track of all agenda. Yeah, well, that's that, and that's yeah. that's a meditative state for sure. Yes. So, um, so this led you to creating the mental locker. Yes. And tell us a little bit about that. And I know you've kind of transitioned, but I don't know if you're still doing. You're still doing a little bit of work with it. I or? have one client that I've had. Actually, it was a ex student of mine that I coached at Southern Illinois University. Um, I work with him. Cool. Uh, for so the last three years. It's still got some life it's force still got, in it. It's still got a, a little bit of a pulse. <laughs> yeah, that's um, good. But the mental locker was something that was my exit strategy. You know, when I got my master's in sports psychology, I knew that was a difference between um, being the best and just being really good at something. Um, is how we thought, our, our thought process and the choices that we make and how we show up each and every day. Um, so as soon as I was fired the the transition was okay now this is where i'm going but the mental locker the as a cadet at the air force academy there are so many demands they are basically from 5 a.m to 11 p.m their time is taken they're doing pt they're doing military stuff they have i mean it's an ivy league type education and then we're expecting them to come down and be baseball players and they struggled with that so what i created is the mental locker so they would come down from the, the, the hill, the academy is up on a hill and then they walk down the hill to the baseball field. And as they're coming down from the academy to the baseball field, they're starting to transition. Um, and once they take off their uniform of the day, they take and put it in their locker and all the problems and all the issues that they have with that uniform. And they put on their uniform as a baseball player, they just get to be the best baseball players they can for the two hours. It's like their sacred ground mm-hmm. of just being an athlete. And then when they put their uniform of the day back on, all those problems are still going to be there, but they have some separation. So that's where the mental locker came from. And it was, you know, my mantra was there is just giving people permission to play a bigger game in life. Um, I worked with some, I I got to speak to the Food and Drug Association in Washington, DC. I got to work with athletes. I got to work with CEOs and it was really, really cool. And that was the first time I was like, okay, the mindset and the 
pursuit of being excellent, it's not just in the athletic arena. It's in every arena. So that's when I first realized, it's like, okay, this stuff works in all different kinds of arenas. And that's when, again, that next transition of seeing, instead of being so narrow of what I know to be comfortable was athletes and baseball. And it was like starting to see these other people that are CEOs of companies and they want the same thing. It's just a different arena. It's like, okay. Because they is... have those same qualities that a high-level athlete has. The will, the yeah. discipline, the showing up. And, and I think we all possess it. You know, it's just about the environment you grow up in. It's about who do you have that surrounding you that's either encouraging or discouraging you from really seeing what you're capable of. I love the quote, you know, good and great are uh, enemies of what's possible. Because so many times we say, I'm good. Or I'm even great, so I'm okay. I don't need to push anymore. I'm 47 years old. I have still no idea what I'm capable of. And I'm determined to try to figure it out. But there was that part of you, because you fell into it too. Mm. There was that part of mm -hmm. you that was like, oh, I'm going to stay here yep. and I'm going to do this and comfort. I'm going to be the head coach and comfort. Yeah, like comfort. we all, well, because we live in these human bodies that are hardwired. Yep. So there's got to be, and before we put the mics on, we were kind of talking about overriding these, you know, physical mechanisms, the mechanisms of the body so that we can live beyond in those higher uh, possibilities yeah. in that realm. Like, yeah, we're just we're designed for homeostasis. You know, yeah. our body is designed to know that it's safe. You know, I always refer to it as a thermometer in the house. Let's say it's set at 69 degrees. If it gets too hot, it turns on the AC to get to 69 degrees. If it gets too cold, it turns on the if it gets too hot, it turns on AC. If it gets too cold, it turns on the heat to get back to 69 degrees. Well, our internal thermometer is the same. And the only way for you to change it is you have to change the internal temperature with our thoughts and our daily choices. And people are like, oh, that makes sense. And it's just a intention of here's what I'm going, here's where I'm going, here's how I'm going to do it and the details that it takes to get there. So it's, it's super important to know where you are. Woo, that's the most important. <laughs> and that's the things we like to forget about. Because we always, and I'm guilty as anyone where... I, I, I love the pursue something. I love the challenge of trying to accomplish things. Um, and a lot of times that means I'm not where my feet are. So I'm really, with this new job that I have, I'm really trying to not only teach it to the people I work with, but myself is like, be where your feet are. Be present for now, because in order to get there, you gotta be here first. And so how are you doing that? It's very intentional. Uh, it's um, putting up systems around me because I love to pursue. I love the challenge. I'm extremely competitive, almost to a fault. <laughs> um, so the competition, my internal competition now is presence. Because I'm always like, what's next? What's next? What's next? I was like, no, what's now? What's now? And it's just this constant create new patterns in my life, first of all, identifying the ones that aren't allowing me to be where my feet are and then changing them. We are, we're, we're all about habits. We're all about patterns. Our brain is designed to look for those patterns. So all we got to do is be very intentional with changing our thought process with the patterns that we do and just know that it's going to take, you know, 60 to 90 days to create a better pattern. It's not breaking old habits. It's creating new, better habits that override the bad ones. Yes. It's not. It's, it's about breaking the habit mm -hmm. of not being present. Yes. Break the habit of not being present. Yep. So what you just said, like you started to say, like sometimes it's like constant, like constant, like you bring yourself back, bringing yourself mm -hmm. back. 
And what I try and get across is, well, that's the mind training is the bringing back, bringing back, bringing back. So what do you say to those people that say, well, I, I just can't be present because my mind's too busy? The problem's never the problem. <laughs> we talked about this before we press record. So for me, when someone says that, I'll say, hmm, curious about that. Tell me more. Because that's just a surface level answer. That's the one where I hope that we just move on from this because that's where, you know, that's where we could start a really good conversation. So tell me more about that. How does that make you feel? What are some specifics? What are some details of this feeling that you're describing? And as they start to, you know, typically it's anywhere from six to seven questions or whys to get to the truth. So what, let's say they say, well, it's frustrating. So, so the, the yeah, essence, so, I'm frustrated. Yeah, so, so tell me about it. How does frustration feel to you, Jess? Well, I'm impatient because I can't do it. I, mm. I just can't. It won't stay there. It just keeps going back to the thought. It keeps going back to the thought. Like I can't make it stay there. I can't make those thoughts go away. Mm, curious about that. Tell me more. Well, I just don't know how to do it. Oh, so what would you do if you knew how to do that? Well, I would do it. Okay, so what does that look like? What are the details of that? Well, I need someone to tell me, like, what is step one, step two, step three? So Nobody's what, told so me how to do this. Step one would be Jess. Like, if you could well, just major, just wave a magic wand and create the best life, what would step one be for you? Well, I guess it would just be like noticing my breath. Oh, now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> you know, and it's and some and it gets really frustrating for the person um, because they want to, and you are it's, you're so good. Um, so many people want to just be told what to do. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. It's like, no, there's no, there's no attachment to it. There's no co-creation of it. There's it's a no, checkbox. Yeah, it's like, oh, Done. I'll just do it. And I'm right. really, really good at it. You tell me, if you write a list, I'll go crush it. But if you say, I want you to create a list and then go, I struggle. I struggle with the creation, but I could execute it and I could freaking finish it. And think about my whole life practice plan, game plan. Here's exactly what you need to do. Go do it. Done. Here's, here's a workout. Go crush it. That's easy for me. What's really, really changed my whole life is the, and again, what do we do when we have to, when we create something, we have to be present. Yeah. Cause creativity can only happen yeah. in the present moment. So I've struggled with that. So I like, this whole thing's like coming back and it's just like, okay, if I were to know what to do right here, what would that look like? And there is no wrong answer because the most important thing is you start. And then once you start, it kind of reveals itself. But when we're working off the plan of somebody else, we're, in, we're putting our faith and trust in them that that is the right way. Yeah. So when you go out to your game and you, you, pitch your, you, know, you pitch a full game and you close it out and great, you've checked that box because yep. you believe that somebody else yep. put you in that situation. But when you start to get real with yourself and figure out like, well, what is... Mm the game what is what are the pitches i'm supposed to, to you're you're getting like a, details acutely yeah. focused on on what's coming inside but but what you're saying resonates so well it's so easy to to hop i need to do a 90 minute bike i'm gonna hop on the trainer i'm gonna do the bike done yeah but but where i find the struggle is to create my own plan for myself mm -hmm. workouts for the days ahead because now i'm getting into that space where i don't know if it's right or wrong and you just touched upon it when you take that first step you have to be willing, willing and open to detach from whether it's wrong or right. You and have that to you can surrender experience. to judgment. 
Who be- wants to do that? What? And who wants to see their truth? Hello, ego. <laughs> yeah, for me, the biggest thing is, you know, again, we talk about labels. We are all, we all live within these labels and these labels can get us in trouble because we identify with, well, if I'm not this, then what am I? And I just, I've, I'm going through that right now. And I've gotten to the point, it's like, I am who I'm supposed to be and I'm just gonna live into that. And I don't care what people say. And that's a constant reminder because our jobs were judged. Um, if we don't do a good job, we don't have, we, you know, we don't get paid or we don't get more clients, you know, however we want to label it, you know, is, it, I heard this on a podcast. I can't remember what it was, but someone's like, so what do you do? And they said, well, I, I just am. It's like, oh my gosh, I just am. I'm, I'm, here's who I am. Right. Love me or hate me, judge me. Nah, whatever. But it starts so early. It sounds in, so easy, but it's hard. It starts early in school, right? Oh we're just gosh. like, from the very start of it, we're like, yeah. okay, well, this is the category you're going to go. And you're the morning group in, in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yep. Now you're the morning group. Yeah. Now you're put into, well, now you're in the advanced classes. Now you're not in the advanced classes. Like right from the start, we're judged on getting put into a getting box. Put into that and box. you know, we need those roles and it starts yes. even sooner. It starts as soon as we come out of the womb. And actually it oh, starts yeah. now even before, because now we can find out what the sex is of the baby. And then we're already putting a label on the, on the, the baby yeah. before the baby even goes through the amnesia portal into the world. It's crazy. It's wild. So controlling. Like the word that pops to me when we're talking is this, we have this sense of control and it always goes back to safety. Mm-hmm. If, we, if I know exactly how this is going to be, then I'm not going to screw it up because we're so afraid to be judged by society. But it, the way I look at society is like, if we are doing what everyone else is doing, we're just like them. And why do we want to do that? You know, in the education system, my son just finished middle school. He's going into high school. He's going to be a freshman in high school next year. And he's a very honest, open kid. And he talks about the struggle of sitting down for six hours. He's very, he's got a lot of energy. uh, And he just, he doesn't understand why people tell him he needs to be this certain way. Um, and it's like retraining him every day he comes home from school because they thrive and their comfort in the education system is mediocrity. We're going to put everyone in this box because, you know, even cater to the less than average to try to get them to average. But once you're average, then I've done my job. Let's move it on. It's like taking them through the system. It's the good enough. Oh my god! It's gosh. good enough. It's good enough. Life and, is and good enough. I'm happy enough. It drives me crazy. <laughs> my son has, you know, he pro- he's he wasn't diagnosed with ADHD, but he probably got a little bit in him. Um, and the, so he went through all these tests, and we we meet with the psychologist, we meet with the teachers, and they're like, we have great news. Your son is average. <laughs> And I just went, and my wife was talking to him and the teacher who's, she knows me and, and we were, she goes, what, this isn't sitting well with you. What's going on over there? I said, I said, you may think that being average is okay, but I have no interest in average and neither does my son. And I just stopped talking. Uh, and again, you have to be able to get along with the system or she, you know, so it's retraining him. It's, it's saying, okay, how does this make you feel? What can we control about this? And how do we live into our true self? Because sometimes we have to put on the show 
during this time, but when you're out, and so now people are like, dude, you're weird, Brayden. He goes, thanks. You know, so it's, it's just really being, going counter to culture is how we get to where we want to go. Like being the best at something, a lot of people are like, that's way, I don't know if I want to be the best. There's a lot of pressure with the best. And it doesn't have to be with all these awards and accolades. It's just internally knowing that I've accomplished, I've achieved I'm living my best life. And so many of us put our own lids on our expectations that we don't even know what that is. Like we are so, lim we, we have no idea what we're capable of. And if you look at Olympic athletes, you look at these elite extreme athletes, they don't even, they haven't even reached their full potential. Like just the intentionality of, I'm preparing for something excellent. I don't know when it's coming. I don't know what it is, but when it shows up, I'm ready. Yeah. And the thing that I've learned from, you know, sitting across from high level athletes and coaches and all of that, that this, this very common thread of the ability to be present mm -hmm. in their athletic excellence. And I find that that is not necessarily like they can be they have this common thread of focus and presence, but some of them are still insecure and they're unsure about themselves and they have doubt and they're like, oh my God, what am I doing? But that's separate from their ability to focus. Yeah. And the presence is where the best comes from. And I would say that those insecurities, the pressure, the fear, the stress, the anxiety, however you want to label them, I think the, the ones who are really elite, they have a different definition. Because that's good energy if you use it the right they way. They see it as an opportunity. They see it as, like for me, when I would go and, and I'd pitch in front of 20,000 people, I would be, I would, I would throw up sometimes. I, that was just, you just feel like your, your body's like abort, abort, abort. <laughs> and I started telling myself, I was like, this is what being alive feels like. Yes. This means something really cool is about to happen. This is another indication that I'm on the right track to discovering what the best is. But so many people, they stop and they run the opposite way. I want to give people permission to run right at it. So the body doesn't, this is my understanding, fear and excitement come from the same part of it's, the brain. Yeah. So the body doesn't, doesn't know, know the, the difference. difference. Right. Same chemical release. Right. So it's what yeah. are we labeling it as? It's how can we redefine these words? Because society has, you know, stress, pressure, anxiety, failure, all that stuff is negatives. But if you listen to the best of the best in any arena, what have they done more than the people who aren't there? They failed. They've gone through these obstacles and they not only learned from them, but they moved forward. They didn't, oh, I quit. This is too hard. I don't want to do it. Like, you know what? This, this sucks. I feel like crap. I don't know if I could do it, but I'm going. And they get rid of the uh, anticipation of, like for me, everyone thinks that there should be an arrival point. Like I want to cross a finish line. I want people to look at those as checkpoints. Like you're just here for a moment, celebrate it, love it. What's next? Where am I going? And I'm not done until I take my last breath. That's living the best life right there. So let's, um, let's bring this into a really, I think, potent example of some experience that you've had talking about the first step, talking mm -hmm. about overriding the body, uh, the mind, all of that. Let's talk about your experience with teaching water survival. Ooh. <laughs> I think, that, and you know, especially we have a lot of triathletes that listen to this, yep. like, and sometimes the, a sprint triathlon can feel like water survival. Sometimes so, going to the pool. 
can feel like water is survival. Yeah, so take us through like what what were you teaching? Yeah. What did that look like? First of all, what I love about this community is from forever, as long as I can remember, I was like, I want to, I want to do an Ironman. I want to be a triathlete. I, I want, I want, I want, I want. And I've never actually, I would, I love to swim. I love to bike. I'm learning to love to run. <laughs> um, <laughs> thanks to Jess. She's redefined that for me. Um, With just one comment. But, but it's crazy. And I want to go there at some point. Um, it's crazy how again, we put these barriers in front of us that, oh, I don't have the time or, oh, we have some reason why we can't do it, but we just instinctively, and I love how the universe has brought the two of you and this community into my life because I'm starting to see, because when I started listening to your podcast, I was like, wow, these people are unreal. I love them. And I was like, wow, I'm not like any of them. But then I was thinking, I was like, wait, I am just like them. I just come from a different arena. I was like, oh, it's on. Yeah, it's boy. On. <laughs> so I can't, my brain is going crazy. I got to decompartmentalize. It's like, okay, what's the process to Iron, this? Iron Man 2020, Penticton, yeah. Canada. Ooh. That sounds pretty Ooh. good. Love it. <laughs> so water survival at the Air Force Academy was probably one of the biggest moments for me being out of my comfort zone. Like, I love to swim. Um, and I love, and I, I just wanted to submerse myself into anything and everything that those cadets did, because as a civilian, you don't get to participate in a lot of things that get to participate. And I felt left out. Like, I feel that I missed my calling. That's easy to say as a 47 year old, as an 18 year old, but I tried to do everything that they did. Um, and I watched them go through basic cadet training where they're just getting physically and mentally, ab not abused, that's the wrong word, just getting tested and challenged to the highest degree um, and watching them come out of it, shattering their own expectations of what they think they're capable of. I can't do another push-up. I can't stand at attention for another minute and they just go and they go and they go and they go and they come out a completely different human. Best thing ever. So the water survival, at least the first two classes that I was a part of, I was more of an observer. Um, and it's crazy how to teach because they're in the Air Force. There's chances where they might have to be in the ocean or they might have to learn how to survive in the water and taking these through. So my role at the beginning was they had to go to a 10 meter platform and they had to jump off of it and they had to swim under a bulkhead. And this is with their UOD, which is uniform of the day, which adds another eight to 10 pounds of weight to them. So they learn how to inflate them to make them a flotation device, all these cool things. So my role was to go up to the 10 meter platform with them and help them jump that first step. Um, talk about some very intimate conversations with amazing humans. Um, and again, they have that fear. Uh, and it's talking to them about, okay, how you feel now is not necessarily important to the big picture. You know, my job, you know, at the Air Force Academy and now is to have people surrender to how they feel now because they're, they're striving for something way bigger than any one moment. So, and you just have those conversations, you get them out of how I feel now for something, hey, you're about, you know, you're about ready to graduate. Some of these are seniors about ready to graduate. You're about ready to graduate and you're going to go into the Air Force and you're going to have this amazing career and you get them out of now. You know, this is kind of the opposite of we got to be present because our brain is just in survival mode. Don't jump, don't jump, don't jump. That's what it's designed to do is to keep us safe. And that is not safe. 
So it's getting them to the point where they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, jump. Using the future as a tool. Yes. And not as a place to live from. Yes. Yeah. And it, it, it's, and it's just a little bit of a separation, you know, and sometimes, so it was those conversations. And then sometimes it was like, you got this man, you know, the athletes that are just like, ah, but they still fear. They still fear that 10 meters. I mean, that's a, and it's, it's, the whole class is watching. You're being graded on it. If you don't pass that, you don't graduate. Well, and that's your, and, and that you're, you're taking the breath mm. you at, on that platform. Now there's no, cause you're not going to, you're not going to have a moment to breathe nope. on the 10 meter descent yep. or swimming under. So woo. there's a lot of work involved and the breath is, uh, the breath is awesome because we talked about this before where, you know, you got to swim 25 meters with your uniform on. And again, that's a lot of weight. And so many, we talked about, we, so many mm -hmm. people just, I've got to do it as fast as I possibly can. doesn't work. Right. Cause you're using so much oxygen and your body goes into a fighter mode that mm -hmm. goes into flight mode. It goes, it, the heart rate. If you could control your breath, you can control your heart. If you control your heart, you control your body. So it was all about, you know, as they're going underwater and as they're, so they go under the bulkhead, they swim all the way to the other part and then they come all the way back. And to get to the, as close to the bottom of the pool as possible. And as they're nice, calm, it's their breath is like, <gasps> obviously you can't breathe in or you're going to suck in water, but it, it's just like a, like a little bubble. And what it does is it tells the brain that I'm breathing, but you're really just taking a tiny little breath. So manipulation is the wrong word, but you're basically, you're training to control the brain a lot more in these moments, which allows, think about Navy SEALs, think about the elite of the elite. One of the reasons why, I mean, they're all physically gifted, or they wouldn't be there, but they have this inability to not inability that has an amazing capability of just the mindfulness and the control of the thoughts and the control of the heart rate and control of the breath that allows them to get through these crazy moments so that water survival was just a really i learned a lot about fear and about the perception of fear but i also learned a lot about you know the the ability to connect with another human in that moment of fear to get the and then to get them to understand that hey this is a normal process you're not any different than anyone this is this is an amazing on the other end of this is something really cool that you say like i did and it was i loved it i i did it for i think i for almost a year and a half two years so that's a that's a skill to have to be able to relate to each unique individual on top mm. the diving board. You talked about the athlete yeah. that was like, you need the grit, you need to mm. like, you know, rah, rah, rah. But then you have the athletes or the, the cadets, the woman that you mentioned, tell that story where yeah. there was some hesitation. So you can quickly, you as the guide can easily shift your language mm. to relate to that person in front of you. And, and this was an interesting case. It's just presence. You know, well, it is presence because you say you can easily shift, yeah. but there's a lot of times like when I'm working with someone and I can see the neural looping happening and I'll just kind of just say like, okay, just like, give me the words. Like, mm. what are the mm. words here? Mm -hmm. How, how do I assist interrupting this pattern? And so it's, and so perhaps it might seem like we're, we're using words like yeah. with ease, 
But yeah, so tell us that. It's just that story. It's, it's being observant it's too. It's you could tell by uh, if you look in their eyes, you could tell if they're scared. You could tell if they're you know intense. You could tell by their body language. Are they are they are they literally shaking? Or how is their breath? Are they <gasps> or are they under control? And the the thing is, is just try to get them out of this panic mode into a uh, calm mode. Because you know, the panic mode is going to kill them. The panic mode in their real life could potentially kill them. Um, and you don't want to tell them that when they're on the 10-meter platform. But <laughs> that's would not be the word. <laughs> but that's going through your mind. You're like, okay, You're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> but but this, this one cadet, you know, she was just scared. She was afraid of heights. She had all these stories, these narratives. This is the worst nightmare. Worst nightmare. Uh, and I believe she was either a junior or a senior. So she's about ready to graduate. Um and she had to, we had to get through a lot of the narrative, the internal narrative of the story she was telling herself. Um, and it wasn't just a story that she was telling herself. It was a story that people were telling her because she enrolled people in her story. So now she's got the support group to keep her safe. That's a, the brain's doing a great job. So it was, it was recalibrating her and her actual thought process of like who she really is, not who she thinks she is or who people told her she is, but she's an amazing human being that has the ability to accomplish anything if she just puts her mind to it. And it took almost three weeks. And each time she would get a little bit closer and then she would look down and get a little bit closer. And then she would, ah, then nope. And there was a lot of times, especially at the beginning where um, you had to be really, really smart to not push her too far. So it would be like, hey, we're just gonna get up there today. Awesome, you did an amazing job, I'm so proud of you. Let's go down. And it's just this little incremental steps. What was the biggest story that she had that you f feel like was, was her limiter? I think, she, again, she never expressed this, but my instincts tell me that she literally thought that she was gonna die. Mm. She had this fear of heights and she had this fear of the result of what was gonna happen when she jumped. Um, and there are people who have gone through there that don't jump. They don't pass that class. Um, and they've done some things now where you could go at smaller levels where one, you just are off the diving board and you get a less grade. So you better be a high performer in the other things. Um, so they've, they've done a better job because, you know, especially at the Air Force, in the Air Force, there's so many other jobs besides being a pilot. So based off, hey, I'm going to be in acquisitions. Okay. Which I, I'm, I'm, I'm leaning both ways. Cause if we never challenge those, if we never face those fears, if we never redefine the story that you're telling yourself, are they ever going to really reach their capability of what, of, of who they are as humans? Um, but again, they, it's a system again, and it's an, it's an amazing system, but again, it's a system. So they have to produce certain numbers and get certain people through to fill jobs. Um, but for me, it was her, it was her, her ego was super strong and her, her flight was super strong. Um, and we just had to get it over to the fight part a little bit. When she jumped down, what, what was her relationship to the swimming underwater and coming back? That was, that was the easiest part. So it was that first <clears throat> step of was, just yep. jumping off that yep. 10 foot. Yep. And when it actually happened, the elation and the complete um, redef redefinition of who she thought she was and to who she really is changed her whole life. 
Of course. Well, changed her whole life. Well, I mean, I would, I would say that that was one of the things she was here to get to the other side of. Like, I don't think we just all of a sudden end up on this earth. Mm. I, I firmly, firmly know that we are all here to for purpose. Yes. And I think that those, perp- I think, I think our overall purpose is to live our authentic self. And then within that, we got to get over these walls and we got to get to the other side of things. And mm. so, you know, I also believe that there's a higher organizing intelligence that organizes life situations for us. And, and when I say that, I don't think we're separate from it. Yeah. But it, it organizes these life situations like you when you got fired, that that led to the mental locker yep. and all of this experience and you sitting here and us being connected. But had you just never forgiven him, had you not worked on training your brain in a way that you did, you wouldn't have been able to serve the people. You would have been able to serve them enough, Yep. but you can't argue with the fact that that upped your game big. Oh, I had to. And what's yeah. crazy is the the better I get is the more I'm in service. The better I get is Speaking when our language. Is, is when I am because so my new job I'm I'm at Buffini and Company and it's the largest coaching and consulting company in North America. We serve four thousand one to one clients. We have around twenty two thousand clients overall. Um, I help lead the coaching department, which means I coach the coaches. So I get this job and think about my life prior is is I'm a fixer, whether it's mechanics, whether it's, you know, the mental, it's like, do this, do this, okay, and there's some co-creation there. So I get there, I'm like, sweet, I'm gonna fix all these people. Not. (laughs) (laughs) Expectations, right? Exactly, again, it was me, it was me. And I remember, gosh, probably not even two months in the job, I was talking to a coach and he goes, stop trying to fix me. I was like, ooh. Never heard this before. People like to be fixed. So my ego was like, <gasps> I wrote on my board in my office because people won't trust you until they, well, people want to know if you, if they could trust you. They want to know if you know what you're talking about and they want to know that you care about them. If you, if you could, if they could identify those and answer yes to those three questions, you got a connection. I wrote those on my board and every single meeting for probably three or four months, it was the intention was that. Do they know that I care? Can they trust me? Do they know what I'm talking about? And probably maybe one of those questions was able to be answered at the beginning. Um, I think they trusted me, um, but there were all people like, you're an outsider. I don't know who you are. You got to earn my trust. Uh, and it's, it took around six months till I started to see a shift. And again, the more I got out of my agenda and I got into intention, like what's my intention with this meeting that I'm going into? What's my intention with these 20 coaches that I'm serving? And it's to add value to their lives and help them see a better version of who they are, whatever, however they want to define it. And it's, it was more about asking great questions, being a great listener, which I wasn't good at either. I mean, I would just go. People are like, well, why am I here? You're here sitting talking to yourself. <laughs> so it's, I've learned listening skills and I've learned how to ask questions. And it has literally changed everything with how I operate right now. And it's not about fixing, it's about co-creating. 
about connection. It's not about fixing it's at all. It's not about fixing. And what I've learned is seeing, what I've learned how to do really through my own inner work, mm. seeing myself at, in perfection. Yep. Like I'm exactly where I need to be in perfection with all my imperfections. And I'm sure blind spots that my husband helps me see all the time <laughs> that I see, I don't see them as the binge eater. I don't see them as the person that's angry. I don't mm. see them as those things. I see them as a really powerful, perfect individual mm. that just is peeling layers off. I love that. Just, I struggle with that too, because so many people, my story, my internal dialogue is so mm. many people settle for less than excellent. Yeah, and I'm, I'm and completely and intolerant would, And it would that. get me so <laughs> upset. It's like, how could you be okay with just enough? Totally. Uh, but that's not my place. So I'm working a lot on empathy. I'm working a lot on patience because I like to move fast. Uh, and I got to stop and be present and be where my feet are and really meet these people where they're at. By noticing what's coming up within yeah. you. Oh, gosh. Intolerance was a huge one with me. Like, I was like, I don't understand. I don't understand. What do you mean you're not yeah. acting? Yeah. Wait, I, I, wait, I don't sure. understand. Like, why aren't you <laughs> yeah. just, right. aren't yeah. you just setting your yeah. sights on something well, and getting yeah. it? My, like, first, my first website was called endingmediocrity.com. <laughs> you know, and, and then, you know, this whole, and then my other part, the, the pursuit of perfection, where, you know, so many people like the perfection thing. My wife calls herself a recovering perfectionist. Well, we have this label that we can't have any scars or any bumps or any bruises. We just have to perceive to be this perfect individual. And for me, perfection doesn't exist. However, the pursuit is necessary to be the best at but something. Our, but our essence is oh perfection. I think our <laughs> essence is perfection. It is. And what I love about when we could give people permission to, you know, all of your bumps, your bruises, your scars, your story, that's that it's enough. And it matters and it's relevant. And and when we could get people to say, you know what, here's where I'm at. And all the things that have gotten me here were my doing. Internal. And here's where I want to go. Okay, there we've created a gap from where we're at to where we want to go. So now we typically just want to jump from A to B as fast as we possibly can. Quickest timeline. As f can I do it like in five right. minutes? But for me, the true essence of being is living in that gap and working each day to close that gap. And the pain and the suffering and the excitement and the celebration, it's all the best memories that we have in our lives. Some of the best memories that I have are things that I never anticipated. At the time I didn't like, but they created something better on the end of it. So it's living in that gap of what is the work that I need to do today to get one step closer to who I wanna be and I wanna create a relationship with future self. How does he or she look? How do they walk? How do they talk? So when I meet that person, are we congruent? And it's just an intentionality with that. But we, we're so bombarded by noise today, coming from so many different angles, and we only have the ability to process so much. So for me, it, it's about getting very lean with where you wanna go, and then you ask yourself a very simple question. Is this helping me or hurting me get to where I wanna go? Yes or no? Yes, sweet, I'm going. No, stop, adjust, go. And it just, we, for me, it's all about simplification. How can I simplify my life to the purest form 
where everything that I do, and we're going to make mistakes, but one mistake shouldn't lead into, oh, I'm just going to just cheat the whole day on food. I'm going to eat whatever I want because I just, I missed this one meal. There's so, there's thousands of opportunities every day to be excellent. But how many of those do we subconsciously just pass through and we miss out on some moments that could change someone's life or could change your life? You know, another academy example of why I love that place is, you know, they have firsties, which are the seniors who pretty much run the academy. The academy is run by the cadets. Now there are people in charge to kind of oversee to make sure it's functional, but their jobs, the firsties job is to make the underclassmen better than they are because in the real air force, they're going to work side by side. So typically when you're a dually, which is a freshman, you know, you're, you're marching the strips and you have all these things you have to salute. You got to hold your backpack. There's all these rules that you, and the, the, the firsties typically don't interact. Well, there was this one instance where, uh, there was a, a freshman in, in like the, the stairwell and she was upset and she was super down crying and a, a firstie, a senior walked by and just said, Hey, I've been there. You're going to be okay. You're going to get through this. You got this. And then like four years pass, and now this person who graduated is now teaching again. This cadet came up to this and said, you have no idea I was going to commit suicide that night. And by you telling me that I was going to be okay, and by you just acknowledging that I was a human, you saved my life. But how many times do we miss a little opportunity like that? Because we're just, I'm just getting through my day. I just got to get through my day. And we forget that we are so connected energy-wise, spiritualized. We just, we are so disconnected today. That's why like this conversation, belly to belly, eye to eye, is something that we are dying for and we're striving for. And we need to actually be very proactive in creating that in our lives because it gets us to where we want to go. So somebody's like, oh, shit. I'm grazing through my day all the time. I'm, I'm zoning getting, out. God, I, that person, <laughs> yeah. they were struggling and I didn't help them with their growth. Oh mm. my God. Da, da, da. How do they start attuning more? Here's what I do. And it's kind of a fun little game because I love to play. <laughs> I love a challenge is when I'm running or when I'm riding my bike or when I'm out in public, um, I try to say hello to as many people as I possibly can. Um, and it's funny the reaction that you get from some people like, oh, hi. And some people like give you the death look. But internally, when I'm out in public, in my mind, it's like, I wish them well. I wish them well. You know, you see people that are upset. It's like, you know, I, it, the, the energy of I wish them well or a smile or just a simple hello it seems so simple and it seems so easy to do, yet we're like here in the rat race trying to get our piece of the pie and we forget those little things. And just eye contact with a stranger and a simple hello, going up to someone at the gym or just, hey, how's it going? I did that the other day, a guy in the gym, he just killing it. I was like, dude, where do you get your workout from? Cause you're getting after it, <laughs> you know? And now every day, every morning we see each other. Hey, how's it going, man? Good to see you. And it's those connections to let us know that we're not alone. We're not, we're in this together. You know, we're born and we're wired. We're hardwired as a species is to be a part of a tribe. And we're so disconnected from that today because of our smartphones, because of technology, because of the rat race that are, we're just dying for human interaction and human connection. And, and th I think that's the key 
to starting that process forward. Yeah, I love that. Like we're dying for it, but we're denying it, it's you know? It's crazy. Like it, we're literally dying. Like our body needs it for survival. Think mm -hmm. about thousands of years ago. That's the only way they survive. And we're all hardwired hard with that. And we just, we're so disconnected. And, and it's like, how do we, there's going to be a breaking point. And I think it's coming soon. That's just my instincts. At some point, people are going to say, okay, what we're currently doing as a society isn't working. And you're seeing it all over the place. Yeah. With these connections. Yep. And people these are waking up. Yeah, these communities of, we can't do this alone. No one wins alone. Championships are scheduled. That was kind of like my tagline with the mental locker is they don't just show up. And you could define a championship however you want in your marriage, with your, with your children, with your podcast, with, with your job. Championships are scheduled. You have to put in the work. You have to become a certain person in order to earn these accolades. Not just, well, I, I deserve it. Like, mm. No, you have to earn it. You have to put the work in. You have to bleed and sweat and have snot running out of your nose. And just go through the, the pain of what it takes to be great. Because if not, you never know where you're at. You need the struggle. You need It's so necessary. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's a, a very defining indicator of when I'm on the right path is when I'm struggling. And I have to define it. Sometimes it's just a story I'm telling myself. But, you know, I have, it's, I have a lot of physical things that I want to accomplish in my life. And I was like, that's easy for me. I'll get there eventually. I'm starting to say, okay, what's the mental? Because those are the hard, like internal work. Ooh. A lot of people want to avoid that. Like, I'll fix the hell out of you, BJ, but I'm not, no, I don't want to go internal. Like, well, I got I, you. I love the question. Um, I ask this a lot. What am I, especially when things are like I'm in cruise mode and I'm like, oh, everything's good. We got some new athletes. Da, da, da. I'll sit in meditation and I'll say, what am I not seeing? Mm. What am I not seeing? Such a great question. Yeah, what am I not seeing? Like, or if I'm angry or if I feel constricted, what is the loving story I'm not mm. seeing? And that's just going to start. It's oh, it's so powerful. Oh, it's this. so deep, yeah, right? I think, love it. I think with the athlete too, and I see this with our athletes, like when things are going well, the other stuff tends to, to, to fall away. Like just foam rolling. Foam rolling, <laughs> yoga, the meditation seem to fall away. Stuff. Right? Uh, things yeah. are going great. But that, I love that. That is the time to get reflective on yourself and find out what, what else could I be doing. It's so funny how we <clears> kind of work backwards. Like when we're struggling, we want to do like, well, this is wrong. Well, this is wrong. Well, this is wrong. And we overcomplicate the process. When we're going good, we forget about the things that got us there. So for me, it's all about the foundation. Like what, like if you take like Mike Trout for an example, because he's like the best baseball player in the game right now, just signed like a $380 million contract. Is that the guy in San Diego? Uh, he's uh, Anaheim. Anaheim, okay. Yeah, he's amazing. And his foundation, his routine, he hits, a, he hits off a tee every single day. So do eight-year-olds. You know, he hasn't forgot what got him there. But so many times we get, so our company talks a lot about survival, stability, um, success, significance. And so many of us, we all start in survival. And we want to get out of survival as fast as possible to get some stability because it makes us feel good. But a lot of times we think we're in stability and we're still in survival and we want to jump as fast as we can to significance because it feels better there. And we forget the foundations. We forget about the tiny little details that keep us grounded 
because if I build if I if I build a house out here on Ocean Street and spend six million dollars, but I want that house as fast as I possibly can, and I rush through the foundation of that house, I don't let the concrete dry, I don't put rebar in it, I don't do the pipes properly. It's like, I want it done, I want it done, I want it done, I want to get to the house, I want to see my ocean view. How's that house gonna be? It might look good on the outside, but over time it's gonna crumble because the foundation isn't where it needs to be. And we always want to get past that. Get past it. It's like if live in like for me, living in survival is kind of a constant. If you think you're sta- so many people are like, I'm comfortable. I'm good. Exactly. I get like, I made the throw up face. Yes. And I I think people, people (laughs) think because they've been told that that's where comfort lies. That's where success lies is when you're comfortable. And for me, if you're comfortable, you got one foot out the door and you don't even know it. Um, And there is some comforts good because it makes you feel good. But how can we be comfortable for 30 seconds or a day? And then say, okay, this feels awesome, but I got to change my internal thermometer, my homeostasis. I got to recreate that to continue to strive for whatever it is I want to strive for. So many people don't know what their end game is. They just like, I'm just trying to get through today. I got a roof over my head. I got my paycheck. And we just, we're so numb. How do you help someone who says like, I, I don't even know what I love. That's a tough one because a lot of people's like, I don't, I don't have a passion. I don't know what my passion is, uh, and it's it's a lot of internal thought process. It's a lot of uh, if you don't know what you truly love and what you're truly passionate about, I want you to speak that into the universe. Like, you know what? I don't know what I truly love or what I'm passionate about, but I want to find it. I want to be curious of what that looks like, and then you. Go do a bunch of things. What makes you feel good? Okay, that's a start. What energizes you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, Because you don't have to have your passion be your job, but use your job to fund your passion. So it's, it's being very, it's going internal. We live in such an external life right now where all the answers are out there. It's like, no, those are all opinions. And that's exactly what they are, they're opinions. But what instinctively like makes you feel weird and gets you like, whoa, I don't know what this is. Let's explore that. And it's throwing some things against the wall and see what sticks. And sometimes finding your passion takes 10 years. Sometimes it takes five days. It just depends. But you have to put it out there. I'm looking for it. I want it. I'm desiring it. And it's going to make you feel scared. Like, this is my norm. But every morning I wake up and I say, thank you. Mm. Like, thank you. Thank Mm -hmm. you for the bravery that I live. Like, thank... Oh, and by the way, thank you for allowing me to wake up so I can live another day. The simple simple things of (laughs) life. Like, the gratitude. How often do we over that? Yeah, yeah. And it's it's actually, you know, surrounding yourself with people. You know, if, if... like I see someone, I'm like, wow, I don't know what it is about them, but their energy is really, it's intoxicating. I want to be around them. Well, get around them. You right, know, that's what we did with you. We were like, we like that guy. Well, and then we start seeing you all the time. Well, and then I took your yoga class at Crunch. Oh, that's right. That's oh, how yeah, I, that's right. That's yeah. I first met you. And I was like, at first I'm looking on the thing. I was like, oh, it's a male yoga teacher. I'm going. <laughs> um, and then there was just an instant connection. And we started talking after class and boom, here we are. Yeah. It's being intentional, not waiting for it to happen. I talk a lot about this with the people that I work with and just life in general is we're, 
very reactive. I want us to be proactive instead of reactive. If you want something, you have to be proactive in trying to create it, not waiting for it to happen because the universe is not going to sit there and just like hand you things. That's why there's so, there's so few people are at the top of whatever arena you want to choose. It's because they go past the comfort, they go past all these obstacles, and they're super proactive and intentional with, I'm not going to stop until I get that. And what's crazy is I had that with baseball. I was obsessed as a kid. I'm going to play professional baseball. I have no idea how I'm going to do it. Never been around one. I'm just going to, my dad taught me that hard work is going to pay off eventually. So I was the first person on the field, last person off the field, which is probably not a good thing. Um, I beat myself to hell to get to where I wanted to go. And when I got there, I was like, oh, this is it. That's why I think these arrival points are dangerous because we get there and we're like, I've arrived. And you're like, oh, that wasn't as cool as I thought it was going to be. Now I don't know where I'm going to go. Because you're, you're putting your, you're saying when I get there, I will be accomplished yeah. or successful. And the thing is, is that you're in the gap. The gap is where all the good <gasps> stuff is. And you know, yes. this is so funny, the, go, to go back real quick to the finding your passion, it was reminding me, one of my first uh, sessions that I had with this psychic, I remember mm. her saying, um, she was like channeling through all this stuff and she goes, oh, and by the way, stop asking for answers and signs and then not look for them, by the way. And I was like, Damn. oh my God, <laughs> you're so right. She's yeah. like, you, she goes, they're all telling me that you ask for all these things and they're giving you all these answers and you're not even looking for them. How many of us are guilty of that? That like was my I mean, blinder just, right, you know, yeah, when you right. pull a blind and it snaps up. Yep. Like that's what happened. I was like, oh, and that got me to start really paying attention. That's calling you out basically. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And so many people are afraid of that because they don't want to offend. They don't want to hurt people's feelings. But oh yeah. Sometimes no. that's necessary. Oh yeah. Like, she, there was oh. other messages that weren't oh, so yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like stop, right. stop like, judging yeah. people so much. Just Oh yeah. But let's, um, <laughs> so talk about the, talking about the basics and the foundation, and all of that, you're kind of returning to a basic of running. Mm. You're running like a mile a day yes. and you're finding that you've even got great potential there to kind of change relationships uh. and see how you're feeling about it. Yeah. And, it's your fault. Um, so my story, my internal dialogue with running was I, I hate running. I, it's painful. Uh, there's a couple moments that I could feel when I lived in Colorado of being on a trail and just being surrounded by the mountains where I was like, oh my gosh, I could go forever. Um, but it always made my body hurt. Uh, especially on a treadmill, get shin splints instantly. I had this awesome narrative, internal narrative. Story, story. Story after story. You're like a novelist. Well, my whole career was running was either punishment or things that you had to do. And as a pitcher, do you do oh, much yeah. running? I know pitchers are perceived to or be perceived, non-athletic fatsos. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to go there, but yeah. But yeah, it's but, true. Yeah, but they don't do a lot of running, right, well, as compared yeah. to... well. It depends. it depends. And when I was at Cal State Fullerton my senior year, um, our coach said, I'm not going to tell you what to do. You do what you think you need to do. And that was like the first shift is, okay, this is on me. Mm, I responsibility. Have, this is on me. Yeah. I, I pitched every Saturday. So I was a starter. And I had, so when I pitched, I had a plan in place where I had to actually start the process of getting ready for the next one. And it was, okay, 
because a lot of times pictures like run poles or jog, there's nothing that we do as a pitcher or as a baseball player that's a long, slow movement. Everything we do is short, quick bursts. Mm. So that's when I first started like, okay, I don't really, I, I, would, I could do like a flush run, you know, just to get sweat and stuff like that. But I need to start doing some more like quick explosive bursts so I can train my body what to do in actual competition. Because for me, there's a huge gap between what we do in practice and what we do in competition. I'm training one way and all of a sudden I'm supposed to flip the switch, which does not exist. And your body gets confused. It's like, wait, 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 what, what's going on here? Yeah. I know this because we work way more at this than we do with that. So we, so I, people call it choking. For me, choking has nothing to do with the moment. It has all, what's your relationship with practice? How are you preparing for that moment? And if we're not preparing for that moment, the way we want to compete in that moment, there's a disconnect. So that's when I started, you know, but the whole running thing for me, uh, I committed to running a mile a day for the whole 2019. So I was like, okay, why did I do this? First of all, because I asked, I said, okay, if I'm going to commit to something, I'm going to do it because I'm, I like a challenge. So I was like, I'm doing it. I want to change my relationship with running. Uh, so my goal is to run 700 miles in 2019. Uh, and that's a lot for me. I know some of the listeners are like, I do that in like a month. <laughs> you know, you guys are like, you're such an amateur. Uh, but for me, that's a, that's a huge commitment. And what's really cool about it is I've gotten how I feel now because I'm going for something way bigger than what's now. So by the end of June, I have to be at 350 miles. And yesterday I was at 343 miles so far. So I'm on pace. Um, I'm going to actually get to 350 today after this podcast. Um, but we were talking to you at Steady State and we're just, we're just talking, just having a great conversation. And I said, I hate running. And Jess's comment was, what if you didn't? I was like, damn. What if In I my face. Did, what, what if I didn't? And it's so simple, isn't it? What if you didn't? But when you said that, it was the blinders. Yeah, snapped up. Yep. Change your thought process, you tool. <laughs> you know, and, and from that moment forward, so the next day, because I do five, Monday through Friday, I do at the gym because I, I have a job. So I wake up at four. I go to the gym and I get to work by 7.30. So treadmill is so monotonous and so boring, if that's what you tell yourself. Yeah. If that's what if you, you repeatedly you tell yourself the story, over and over If those are the thoughts yourself. you practice, and they will become a belief. Because I would put on, uh, whether it's a podcast, I'd put on music and I would just try to get through the moment. So very... Wishing for another now. Yeah. That's can I just suffering. Please get through this so I could go do my, 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 my headstands. <laughs> uh, I just got to get, I just have to do a mile. That's all. It's just a bare minimum. It's like how, like that's mediocre at its best. And it was, that was that internal tug of war of like, come on, dude, you're better than that. So it's funny how the universe conspires. So that next run, I kid you not, my earphones, the batteries died. So I had no music. Awesome. Good. And I had to just get on that treadmill with me and just create, like recreate a relationship with it. And my voice in your head. Yeah. 
Absolutely. <laughs> the mantra. Uh, Damn Jess. Yes. Damn Jess. <laughs> yeah. And it's so from I from that point forward, that's been what, three weeks? I think twice I've only done a mile. Everyone else has been two or more. And it's obviously I I'm gonna increase that, but now it's it's the foot against the, the belt. Uh, and it's just being more intentional with the movement. How's my breath? Um, how's my pace? Does my body hurt? Why does it hurt? Does it really hurt? You know, and all these internal, again, it's not always like that, but I'm making progress. So thank you for that. Um, but it's those simple opportunities that it was, it was time for me to hear it. And it was that one simple sentence. And again, we think it's just crazy complex thing that has to happen. It's someone calling you out on your shit. Yeah. And you have that, yeah. you have that open, you have the, the opportunity where you conditioned your, your system, your belief system to ha- keep channels open, keep yeah. all channels open. So when she said that at the right time, if somebody had probably said something similar, or maybe oh. you heard it like somewhere else. Cause a couple hundred times. A couple hundred probably. times. <laughs> probably within your own head, yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. But this sure. instance just clicks. So for the people listening out there, it's when you're on that lockdown, you've, you've pulled down the garage door and there's like mm. no way to get out. See if you can lift it up just a little bit at, at every day yeah. and see what you can let in. That seriously has changed your perspective with something that you... We're telling yourself over and over and over like and over. 15 years. Right. So this is this long narrative and it's really ingrained in my brain. So it's going to take a little while to get undone, yep. but it starts with that first listening. Yep. That first. And yep. it's not like we had a, we didn't have a big, con- we didn't have any conversation about it. No. But as you were talking about how much you hated the treadmill and things like that, I was thinking to myself, like, this is just a story that he's telling. Sure. So I knew I could challenge you. Like, uh-huh. I knew that you had the girth to handle a little challenge. Yep. So I just said it. And you just, words are really powerful, um, saying this to the listeners. Like, and if you feel, if you have an instinct to say something, you know, and it might challenge them. And like, I risked pissing you off in that moment. Mm. I didn't know if you had a hard line against, you know, like, yeah. I don't know. It was, it was really kind of that moment of like, all right, like, like you, like, are you going to be authentic in what you're teaching and coaching? Like, yeah. you're right. And, um, and as somebody who's speaking from somebody who wants to be really authentic and I want to be challenged, like I thought, like you could handle that. Well, and what's crazy about it too is sometimes pissing people off is exactly what they need. Exactly. It's to shock the system and get them just, out of that pattern that they're so used to going down. And any defensiveness, it's just the ego mm. and the ego mm-hmm. is the false self. So yeah. I'm not, I'm not too concerned about challenging ego. Yeah. By the way, during that conversation, you told us about Mel Robbins, the five, uh, four, three, two, one. Love her. So on your, on the same conversation of interrupting the process, like I can't tell you how much that has shifted just my attitude towards workouts and the things that are delaying me, but even Jess is like using the five four three two one to to interrupt the five four three two one. I know. To get her well, out I do a five four. Th- sure. I do the five four three two one to the five four three two one. I love one. it. Just added yeah. another layer. Yeah. There. <laughs> Sometimes that's necessary. You know, Mel Robbins is amazing. Uh, if you, you should, I, listeners, I'm telling you. Her process is so simple, but there's scientific evidence. Mm-hmm. There's facts. So people are like, that doesn't work. It's and she said it too. It's like this is so stupid. Five, four, three, two, one, go. It breaks the pattern. You can't go one, two, three, four, five, because you could count to infinity. 
but there's a start and a stop and it breaks the neurological pattern. And it's simple. Or if I'm in fear, five, four, three, two, one, I'm excited. Five, four, three, two, one, run. Five, four, I mean, it's so, so simple. It's so, it's so, simple. It's so simple. People are like, that doesn't work. I'm not even going to try it. Yeah. Because we think we have to make this process more life complicated, so complex. Yeah. And it's like, what are the, what are the essentials? What are the essentials that, that help you live your best life? And again, I want people to, I don't, I, I love humans. I love humanity and it's broken. Um, there's so many amazing people out there that are fighting against it. So it's not like I'm going around saying, well, you suck and you suck and you suck. I mean, I do that sometimes, <laughs> but the most part is like seeing the potential, like you said, which has shifted for me big time is, okay, so why are they here? What's their narrative? And can we maybe give them permission just to think differently for one moment? Why? Why do you not have to like running? And it just shifts and all of a sudden it gets in your brain and it starts kind of stirring the pot a little bit. And how many opportunities do we have to do that every day? And you may never see that person again. But if you say one thing or look at them one way to let them know that they matter, like, I hear you. I see you. You matter. That changes everything for someone and it gets them through that day and it starts this new like excitement. So, you know what? I do matter. Damn it. <laughs> I'm going to start pursuing. I'm going to start getting after it, as small as it may be. So it's, it's, it's just being intentional with, with connection and with um, not self-serving. Like the more you could get out and the more that you could just interact and, and give people permission and sometimes just listen and not say a word. Sometimes it's just putting your arm around mm -hmm. someone and, and just saying, yeah, we're good. And not trying to make it okay. They right? don't want to, they Fix don't want it. to. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cause when yeah. you're in that, like when you're in the pits, mm. it, it, it's too hard to spin it. So it's like, yep. let them get, be in the pits, yep. just hold the space for them. And eventually the water will clear. Well, and so many times we try to get them out of that moment as much, as fast it's as we possibly can. It's very important to be in but there. But you know what? They need to be there because that's where all the answers are, is in the struggle and the pain and the fear and the rejection. And that's where all your answers are to your definition of greatness. So sit in the muck, you know, sit into the discomfort and, and say, okay, why? What can I learn from this? And then how can I move out of it instead of like, nope gone it's like we miss those opportunities because that's it's just necessary it really is yeah that's awesome i think that's a great place to to end um how do people follow you uh instagram is typically the only place and it's really boring right now because all it is is mile a day and handstands a day and, and your and my, son my, my son he's a golfer yeah. my daughter's a dancer um they're both going to be in high school next year so at the monk at the mental locker on Instagram. I'm at the mental locker on, on Facebook as well. Um, and LinkedIn and all that stuff is basically just Tim Dixon, D I X O N. But yeah, it's, I love your community by the way. It's, so a, it's such a cool, it's really powerful, such a cool space to listen to their pursuit. Um, which kind of gives me permission to get out of, you know, my little space of where I think I should be and just go for it. Yeah, dude. We're all just yeah. trying to figure it out. Isn't it crazy? We're all just trying to figure <laughs> it out. When you have conversations with people and you, you, you perceive them to be like night and day and you're like, oh, wait. They're just like They me. struggle and mm -hmm. they have their problems and it's just how you define them. 
and, and how are you going to get through them, not live in them? Yeah, exactly. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks so much. And we're going to, um, we're shutting this off because we're going to come back. We've got some questions from our Patreon community and they're going to have an exclusive where they get uh, their questions yes. answered. So if you're a Patreon supporter and you haven't um, checked out the extra already, then get over there and check it out. And if you're not a Patreon supporter... Now's the time. Now's the time. This is 100% listener supported. We love you guys and we appreciate you showing up for us this every week, this week, and every week. Thank you.